white Americans were, were fighting for independence and black Americans were fighting for their actual freedom as human beings. Yes, the, both sides of the war really tried to recruit black slaves into their army and they promised freedom to any black slave that would join either army. The ones that joined the revolutionary cause were lied to. They were not granted their freedom after they did serve in the army, but the blacks that joined the British army were able to uh, affect their own freedom. Freedom. When the British retired from uh, North America, they took those guys with them who uh, had citizenship and went to places like Nova Scotia, the Caribbean, or even back to England. To England. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight. July 4th, 4, 1776. Does that ring a bell? Declaration of Independence, baby, baby. Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Robert Levingston, Benjamin Franklin, and Roger Sherman. The committee of five, fondling, founding, fathers, fathers. Word wars, blood wars, and political war is in full effect. Civil war to be exact, to be exact. Britain versus the United Colonies of America, proclaiming the name United States of America. What does this mean to the shackled slave? who in most cases are in systematic greater confinement in all 13 colonies. Colonies. For the slaves, conflict times are negotiation times. The revolutionary civil war is no different. Colonial patriots offer freedom to black military participants. Participants. The British Empire offered freedom Freedom. to black military participants. 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 Oh, yes. Yes. Justice production promises made by both sides of the Revolutionary War. War. Were promises of freedom fulfilled? Fulfilled. What happened to loyal blacks of Britain? Britain? What became of the loyal blacks of the United Colonies, a.k.a. the United States? States. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Who earned compensation? Compensation. Who were betrayed? Betrayed. Our destination is always the same. We're headed for the solar system of less, less confusion, confusion, coordinates set for the 4th of July. July. Warren Galloway is here. He's the chairman of the African American Veterans Monument, unveiled this weekend on Buffalo's waterfront. Warren, you and I have talked a little bit about this before, and I know for you, the stories are important. If I go up to the monument, use my device, and and click on the QR code, what am I going to learn? What special story is out there that uh, perhaps resonates most for you? Oh, well, you, you're going to learn like 
The first person killed in the American Revolutionary War was the African American. African American. You're going to learn that in a war war, I mean, in the war of 1812, a lot of the war was fought in the Great Lakes. You're going to learn that a quarter of the Navy sailors in the Great Lakes Wars were African Americans. African Americans. Shrikes and rise. 
anthem is racist. Here's why. The holiday known as the 4th of July marks the adoption of the Declaration of Independence by the 13 original American colonies in 1776. The Star Spangled Banner, however, was not considered to be the U.S. national anthem until 1931. Initially titled The Defense of Fort McHenry, the anthem was written in 1814 by a white dude named Francis Scott Key. <laughs> In order to understand why the national anthem is so problematic, you gotta know Key's backstory. For starters, Francis Scott Key didn't believe in freedom for all. In fact, he was a slave owner. He thought slaves were an inferior race of people who were untrustworthy and indolent. As district attorney for the city of Washington, he fought to defend slavery, opposing abolitionist cases. It's pretty fair to say dude was a racist. Back to the national anthem. The year was 1814. The US and the British were nearing the end of the War of 1812. Key was on a British ship in the Baltimore Harbor negotiating the release of his homie. Then on September 13, 1814, the British Navy launched an epic attack on Fort McHenry. It lasted 25 hours. Somehow the military base endured the attack and the next day, the American flag was still standing. Key was so inspired by the sight of the flag that he wrote the Star Spangled Banner, which started out as a four stanza lyrical poem. But that third stanza, it's flaming trash. And where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country should leave us no more? Their blood hath washed out their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. That's Jason Johnson. He's the political editor at The Root and an MSNBC contributor. His article, Star Spangled Bigotry, The Hidden Racist History of the National Anthem, reintroduced this story into the nation's memory. The hirelings were mercenaries, and then the slaves. He was referring to former black slaves who had joined the British. So he's clearly saying nothing could save you all. The colonial marines were runaway American slaves who fought as sailors and soldiers for the British in return for their freedom. Why was Key hating on them? Francis Scott Key was at the Battle of Bladensburg, and he was a lieutenant at the time uh, for the U.S., and he ran into a battalion of colonial marines. I mean, they snatched his chain. He was beaten soundly. He was never particularly happy about the idea of free black men, but then free black men taking him to the woodshed was more than his ego could handle. In other words, the author of the U.S. National Anthem, Francis Scott Key, had a bruised ego because he got his behind whooped on the battlefield. If you break this down sort of line by line, this is his clapback. I'm not surprised by the hypocrisy of this song. The national anthem written by a slave-owning white man condemns valiant black soldiers who were fighting for their own liberation. Anyone who tries to reformat and reboot and reconstitute and play linguistic gymnastics and view this stanza as something other than what it was is trying to put their 2018 attitudes as a way to rationalize and justify what was endemic white supremacy, white nationalism, and bigotry on the part of a man who lived to create what is supposed to be one of the most patriotic songs in American history. Land of the free, home of the brave, God bless America, I guess, yes. You're going to learn that in spite of all the promises that African-Americans received, that if you uh, support us, 
like the Union soldiers in the Civil War or the American or George Washington soldiers in the Revolutionary War, that you would be free. Free. But in spite of all these, you know, promises, promises, and the racism that whenever the call of duty or the call for soldiers came out from any war, African Americans responded, responded. So they, on one hand, they fought the the, the enemy of America. But then when they came home, they had to fight the enemy of racism. Of racism. So many of our soldiers had to fight two wars, two wars, two wars. In America, there were two different views of uh, what the issues were all about. For European Americans, they wanted freedom from England. For black Americans, they wanted freedom from white people uh, telling them what to do, enslaving them or uh, mistreating them. Blacks really had a lot of hope. They saw that uh, maybe for their children and uh, their children's children, it would be freedom. That motivated a lot of people. During my research, I came across one name that really struck me, Peter Salem. Trained in a local militia, it's been said that he was a great marksman. So what we know about Peter Salem is that he was born about 1750 in Framingham, Massachusetts, to uh, an enslaved family, Peter Salem's owner. He gives Peter the option that he could have his freedom if he joins the militia. Peter Salem agrees to fight on behalf of American independence with the understanding that he'll be freed in exchange for his service. There are a lot of ways in which military service during the Revolutionary War for a lot of African Americans was the first time they had an opportunity to make a life for themselves. So many of them were feeling the new status of freedom for the first time, and they were feeling that through this military combat that they were taking part in. In June 1775, during the Siege of Boston, Peter Salem finds himself on the front lines. Bloodshed has happened at Lexington and Concord. Now we're moving forward, we're at Bunker Hill. The British have seized Boston now. The port has been closed down. Massachusetts was in an upheaval. The uh, idea behind Bunker Hill was to sort of foil the British. The battle was a very, very bloody battle. Toward the end of the day, the Americans started to run out of ammunition. Uh, Major Pitcairn of the British Royal Marines, he tried to organize uh, the troops that were left. He was the highest ranking officer left on the field that day that had not been killed or wounded. And he gathered all his soldiers and was uh, telling them, hey, we got to show them what real soldiers could do. At that moment, Peter Salem lines up his rifle, pulls the trigger, and makes history. June 1775, the Battle of Bunker Hill. Reportedly, British Major John Pitcairn yells, the day is ours, and leads the final charge. At that same moment, many would claim black soldier Peter Salem raises his rifle and puts a bullet through the major's head. This is a big, big deal because, you know, here's an African-American who is part of the killing of a, a significant figure. While the Patriots lose this battle, the British suffer significant casualties. And for the nascent Continental Army, killing a British officer is a confidence booster. As news spreads, Peter Salem emerges as a hero. 
There's this, this element of surprise that's really fascinating to me. And, and I think that Peter Salem's story reflects both the reality that black men were just as good as any others when it came to fighting this war, but also the reality that Continental Army officials were really shocked that that was the case. They didn't believe, they didn't expect that Peter Salem would be a brave soldier. And so it was notable to them that he fought bravely, that a black man fought with bravery. In 1786, artist John Trumbull immortalizes the Battle of Bunker Hill. The painting includes a black soldier. Some have claimed this is Peter Salem, but you might not even notice. He's down in the corner in a dark shadow, and because his skin is dark, you can hardly see him there. In some of the history books I've seen, they, they, they would crop off Peter Salem. I think the reason that uh, the black contributions to the success of the Revolutionary War are not acknowledged has to do with the fact that certain people do not want to give black Americans any credit for helping us win our freedom from England. They want to minimize any contributions that blacks have made and try to portray us as savages, and, and that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Now, white Americans were, were fighting for independence, and black Americans were fighting for their actual freedom as human beings. Yes, the, both sides of the war really tried to recruit black slaves into their army, and they promised freedom to any black slave that would join either army. The ones that joined the revolutionary cause were lied to. They were not granted their freedom after they did serve in the army. But the blacks that joined the British army were able to uh, affect their own freedom. When the British retired from uh, North America, they took those guys with them who uh, had citizenship and went to places like Nova Scotia, the Caribbean, or even back to England, back to England. A new documentary, Black Patriots, Heroes of the Revolution, introduces us to key figures of the American Revolution that are not typically in history books. It profiles African-American patriots during the Revolutionary Era. They were writers, double agents, martyrs, and soldiers. Black Patriots premieres Wednesday on History. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the executive producer. He's a Hall of Fame basketball player, activist, and 2016 recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. When I caught up with him, he told me that curiosity led him to this project. He wanted to learn more about the black heroes who'd been written out of history. But he also says his connection to these stories is personal. You know, I was born and raised in uh, New York City in Manhattan. And uh, the part of Manhattan that I lived in was the last part of Manhattan that George Washington controlled before he had to uh, leave and escape and go to uh, Valley Forge. And, uh, you know, I, I read about that incident in, uh, in my history books, and I was surprised to find out that it happened in, in my neighborhood. So uh, oh, wow. after that, my experience as, as a child, we often would find um, like musket balls and uh, arrowheads uh, in the parks uh, right there in northern Manhattan. Really? You know, it, it, I felt a, a real connection to the history of, of that area. Why don't we know their stories already? Well, we don't know their stories already because uh, people who write history books have uh, focused on what European Americans thought and uh, what their objectives were. This nation was founded by white people for white people at the time. Uh, blacks were not allowed citizenship. Women were not allowed to vote. Native Americans were not allowed citizenship. You know, what was one of the stories that impacted you most? If you could recount um, one character, one moment that sticks with you. Peter Salem is absolutely a 
a hero doing her, a heroic thing at a very crucial time. Peter Salem frustrated the final attempt by the British to take the field by shooting Major Pitcairn, who was uh, an officer in the British Army. He shot him before he could gather the troops. The British professional soldiers thought that they could run our side off of the field because, uh, you know, they weren't professional soldiers. But uh, we changed their mind over the period of the Revolutionary War, and uh, in the end, uh, the British had to uh, concede. So, so vital, and yet not in the history books, even today, really, when you learn about the American Revolution in school. Yeah, but, you know, there's a painting of the Battle of Bunker Hill, and Peter Salem, I think, is in it. He's down in a corner, hiding behind the shoulder of a one of the uh, white American officers. And you almost don't see him. I I think in some paintings he's been cropped off, but there's a black soldier there. Now, white Americans were were fighting for independence and black Americans were fighting for their actual freedom as human beings. Yes, both sides of the war really tried to recruit black slaves into their army and they promised freedom to any black slave that would join either army. The ones that joined the revolutionary cause were lied to. They were not granted their freedom after they did serve in the army. But the blacks that joined the British army were able to uh, affect their own freedom. And When the British retired from uh, North America, they took those guys with them who uh, had citizenship and went to places like Nova Scotia, the Caribbean, or even back to England. There was a, a moment in the film that, that kind of stuck with me. It's involving Crispus Attucks, who's widely seen as the first person to die in the American Revolution, a black American, um, a free man who'd escaped enslavement. It's regarding his burial. We'll play the clip. The sort of local traditions of segregation were disbanded for a moment so that he and his comrades were buried together. There were no desegregated cemeteries. That's significant. I mean, the idea that in death, giving up your life for this cause was a moment where you could be buried equally it was quite stunning. It's uh, it's amazing some of the attitudes that uh, prevail at those times, you know, and usually uh, these attitudes were the uh, end thought of, you know, pseudoscience and uh, really uh, offbeat uh, theories as to racial superiority and inferiority. How important is it in this moment to look back at a, at the history of this country in a moment where a lot of these isms are rearing their heads um, and in the politics of today? Some of the things that we see today remind us of things that happened before and, and not in a very positive way. Positive way. Positive way. Activity radio. 
and I'm your host, John G. Horse, horse, welcome. You have indeed found your family in a peaceful place. PAR is a family-friendly information distribution program seeking, seeking to inform non-white people, in particular, Black classified, Black classified, and assistant, and counter-racist codification. The title of today's episode is Star Spangled Betrayal. Betrayal. One more time, I will repeat. The title of today's episode is Star Spangled Betrayal. Betrayal. Baby, baby, baby. You know how we do here on PAR. Let the beat, let the beat. Sizzle in your spirit. Sizzle in your spirit. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. PAR is a family friendly information distribution program dedicated to creating less confusion for people subject to non white, in particular, black classification. Less confusion with the ultimate goal of solving problems. Replace the system of racism white supremacy with a system of justice. Immediately. John G. Horse's cash app is dollar sign capital J. O. H. N. Capital H. O. R. S. E. Feel free to donate if you feel this program is constructive and worth your time. Feel free to donate. If you feel this program is constructive, constructive and worth your time, time, fourth of you lie, baby, baby, baby. Oh yes, where do you begin? Where do we begin? It's always the question. And old John G ain't gonna sit here for 45 minutes, 45 minutes, breaking down each historical tidbit for you. Source material is at the front of the episode. We're at the rear, the rear. You understand me? You understand me? But old John G's gonna take a couple of seconds to emphasize. emphasize. I ain't shy. I ain't shy about acknowledging, acknowledging that those people subject to non-white, in particular black classification, classification, were never ever shy about picking up a musket, for musket and getting liberty, liberty. Or dying trying. Dying trying. And those who fell victim to death. Fighting for freedom and those who succeeded. Who succeeded. Their legacy and their history has to be acknowledged by nobody else but their group. If we don't do it, the hell we looking around thinking somebody else is gonna acknowledge it for. Now that's either true or it's not true. Or it's not true. And I'ma let old James Earl Jones recite the late great Frederick Douglass position. Frederick Douglass, once a slave, became a brilliant and powerful leader of the anti-slavery movement. In 1852, 
who was asked to speak in celebration of the 4th of July. Fellow citizens, pardon me and allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? And am I therefore called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. To drag a man in fetters into the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems were in human mockery and sacrilegious irony. Do you mean, citizens, to mock me by asking me to speak today? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days of the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty, an unholy license. Your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence. Your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. A thin veil to cover up crimes that would, it, that would disgrace a nation of savages. There's not a nation of the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour forth a stream, a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. 
for it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and the crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced, denounced. July 4th, baby, baby, baby. That was James Earl Jones reciting the speech of the late great grandsister, Frederick Douglass. Straight no chaser. Bars. Bars. The United Colonies of America, AKA the United States of America, offered to free coloreds classified as black. Justice and equality if they participated in the revolution against Great Britain. Slave owners offered to their chattel enslaved freedom, freedom if they participated in the revolution against Great Britain. Great Britain. Before their revolution, they were rejected, black classifieds. During conflict, they were recruited, black classified. And once the war was won, was won, they were not granted the freedom that the United Colonies, AKA the United States promised. They got sent right back to the bondage of that their thing called black classification and slavery. Now that's either true or it's not true. And I hope I have contributed to less confusion. And always remember, keep learning and stay codified.
and you're the prey. The prey. The prey. The prey.